This little message has to do with my journey into what I have often considered certainty, um, being sure about something, knowing what I believe, um, and the journey it takes to, to get there, and is that even that important in the grand scheme of things that I'm sure. That leads me to this question tonight that is the title of this little message, Can You Be Sure? And I mean it as a question to you, okay? Because I'm going to talk to you about my own certainty, my own surety, but I want you to be able to apply this into your own life. And this is not for ministers. It's going to sound like it is because that's what I am. So I'm going to talk about ministry, all right? And it's going to sound very much like pulpit ministry, pastoral ministry, itinerant ministry. But not everybody watching is in any of those fields. But we all deal with or struggle with certainty in one way or the other. Now, our sort of base level of it is, can I be sure that I'm right about the Bible? Can I be sure that I'm right about God? Can I be sure that I'm right about this theological principle, this thing? Um, and in that, I don't, I, I don't have any advice for you other than keep wrestling because you're probably going to change your mind anyway. Uh, the, the, the truth is, is that every step of the way where I thought I was sure about something, I was sure until I got more information. And then my surety changed a little bit. And I went, well, I'm not so sure anymore. And I've done that so many times, more times than I can count. And so now I don't land real hard on what I'm sure about um, theologically, scripturally. I know in whom I believe. And I am persuaded about Jesus. Okay, so I am sure of who I believe. He isn't changing. I change, he doesn't change. There's no variables, there's no shadow of turning with God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know in whom I believe, and in that I'm sure. But I don't want to just stop there and go, you know what you can be sure about? Jesus. Because it really just doesn't, it doesn't do you any practical good for me to go, you know what you can be sure about? Jesus. I don't know about your job. I don't know about that person you're going to marry. I don't know about how you spend your money. I don't know about any of that. Who cares? As long as you got Jesus. Because that's led a lot of people to not doing anything with their lives. And they go, well, I got Jesus, so it's all okay. And they don't really do what they could do because they are the image bearers of God. And we want to be more than the lesser version of ourselves. So can you be sure? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 is a verse I remember my dad quoting about a thousand times when I was growing up. My dad was not only my dad, but he's my pastor. He was my first ministry mentor. And he quoted, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. I heard my dad say, make your call and election sure. Make your call and election sure. I don't know that I heard him quote a verse more then make your call and election sure. I guess because it was what he was dealing with maybe in that season of his life to make sure that he was in the right church as a pastor, to make sure he was preaching the right thing. I understand that. That's something that looms over you in ministry. I want to be sure that I'm in the spot I need to be in because I could be over here. I could be doing that there was that opportunity I missed or that I said no to, or I went down this road when I could have went down that one. And that's just, that's my thoughts about ministry. You've got that in your life as well. Some of those things you can't change. Some of those things you could, but let's talk calling an election. What's it mean to make your call and election sure? Well, technically they're sort of the same word, even in the Greek, they're very similar. Your calling and your election. It's the thing that and I don't, don't just think of it in elective terms like some people are elected to be saved, but think of it in terms of Jesus has chosen me and I've chosen him. I want to make that thing sure. This might help a little bit. The Greek word for sure is babios, 
which is actually better translated as firm or secure. But I think the word it derives from makes it even easier, which is the word for step your foot or the place you land your foot. Insert that. Make your call and your election. Make sure you land your foot in the right calling in the right election. Okay. So another way of saying make sure. <laughs> make sure that where your foot lands, it lands in the spot that you want for it to be. The, why, why step your foot? Because if you step your foot in a place that's not sure, you go right through the floorboard. Okay. It can't support your own weight. So the step you make needs to be a step that can support who you are. Let me give you a couple other verses. This is not going to be a verse laden message until the end. All right. I want to lead you all the way up to a Jesus story because that's me. I like Jesus stories. To me, it's the best place to, if, if you don't start there, it's at least the best place to end. And so we're going to get to a Jesus story. To do so, let me give you a couple other call and election ideas, some things that sort of round this out and then share a few things from my own heart. Romans eleven twenty nine. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, or as the old King James says, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Without repentance means God doesn't change his mind about calling you or about gifting you. So if God gifts you, he doesn't take it away. So you can always be sure that if God has gifted or called you, he doesn't change his mind five years into ministry, 10 years down the road and go, you know what? I'm not going to let you have that gift anymore. Uh, that's not a gift. That would be something that you earn. Okay. You don't send away your gift. That just needs to be said. I know it's, it's almost too edgy to say that. Like, oh, that's just going to encourage people to sin. I don't know. If you've ever sinned, I don't know if anything would encourage you to sin. I mean, if you've ever met Jesus and then sinned, I don't think you would ever be encouraged to go back into a hellhole. So I think we're more mature than, ooh, open door to sin. Because if you've met Christ, that's the last thing on your mind is looking for open doors to go create some more chaos for yourself. But if that's you, then... Pray about that. But the gifts and callings of God can't be sinned away, walked away from. They are yours. God isn't going to change his mind about you. Now, I want to talk about positioning because there's certainly a positioning that can happen and needs to. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We actually did this one a couple months ago, probably. It took us a while to get through Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And... This was one that loomed over me for a long time too. Like you're called to do this. You need to walk worthy of that call. And I, there's very much, you can, you can say it in a, a, a sonorous tone to mock it, but the truth is there. Paul encourages you to walk in the place in which you're called. Um, you don't have to read condemnation into that. You can read encouragement into that. So instead of being condemned, who am I walking in the way that I'm called? Read encouragement. If I'm called, I must be able to do it or he wouldn't have called me. I walk worthy of which I'm called. If he hadn't thought I could do it, he wouldn't have picked me. And so he gifted me with this because I can do it. I'm not going to listen to the lies of myself or my insecurity or the enemy or other people that say you're not qualified because of this, because of this, because of this. Forget that. I walk worthy of what I'm called to do. If God called me, God qualifies me. That kind of thing, right? So I can, from, from just a few New Testament verses, it tells me I got to take my call serious. I take my gifting serious, that it's mine to use. So can I be sure that I'm doing this right? Can I be sure in who I am? 
I was saved. I, I came to Christ when I was a six-year-old boy. My dad was my pastor. I was raised in church, and I came to Christ. I don't remember a time when I haven't known the name of Jesus. That doesn't qualify me for anything, but it's literally just to give you an idea about my life. Um, I preached my first sermon when I was 15 years old, and I knew a month before I turned 16 that what I was supposed to do with my life was minister, was preach specifically. I didn't really know anything else about ministry than pastors and evangelists. I was raised in a pastor evangelist house. Um, you, if you went into ministry, it was pulpit ministry. It took me years to learn that the word ministry meant more than getting up and preaching a sermon. Uh, but, I, but I felt gifted to do it. I felt as if when I stood in front of a group, I didn't freak out. That disqualified like 99% of the people that wanted to be in ministry. They would stand up in front of everyone, their mouth would go dry, and they'd fall over. <laughs> and I could talk. Like, I could carry on an actual thought, even at 15. They, they weren't full of much goodness, um, but, you know, I could get through it without wetting myself, um, which was a prereq. Um, and so part of it was just the giftedness to speak. It needed honed. It needed cultivated. I've now been at it 30 and a half years, three decades, 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 sermons later, you get to where you can do it, you know, to where you're not prepared and they ask you to preach another sermon and you can pull something off that you is deep in the well, you know, but that was a long time coming. But, but all the way up till now at 46 years old, I, I still realize how much of my own landing, my sure footing on what I'm called and gifted to do is so often shaky and so often unsure of itself. And I've worn out on that. I want to be sure. I want to be sure of myself. Um, because I went into ministry so young, I've always felt like the youngest minister in the room. Like to this day, if I go do a conference and there's two guys younger than me, I still see myself as the youngest guy on the bill because I was for all of that time and always carried a little chip on my shoulder going into those meetings too. And this idea that you should be a little more, you know, they, they don't realize how long I've been doing this. I know I'm young. They don't realize how much I know or uh, a little bit of imposter syndrome at times, like you don't really belong here. You didn't go get some of the education that some of these guys have. You didn't go do the things overseas that some of these guys' missions work or whatever. I'm just driving gravel roads all over Missouri and Arkansas preaching at country churches, like till I can't move. Just, just preaching, 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 preaching. That was my whole education for years. Now, I've grown up a little bit, had to land on learning how to learn, but for a long time, it was just practical application. Let me tell you about a, a, a recurring dream I've had that I think the Lord is landing my foot. Sure foot, sure foot from Second Peter. Um, when I was uh, in college, I started doing community theater. This is back in Missouri. And I loved acting. Um, I was gifted to stand in front of people and preach and not freak out. And then I found I could do it on a stage with a script 
and not freak out. And you could play out other lives and what didn't have to be yours. And so uh, I loved it. And I did a handful or two handfuls of local stuff. I was always in the cast, you know, not like front, but had a blast. Got to college, got cast in a college play as the lead. And I remember really falling in love with it. Like one of those crossroads moments of your life, you know, like maybe I should try to, to be an actor. Maybe I should really push this. And I'm already in ministry, but I'm not in full-time ministry. I'm a college guy. You know, I'm preaching gravel road churches all the time, every chance I get. And you go, maybe this is the direction you go. I didn't, I don't have any regrets. I love my life. I've accepted my call, but it kicked off a series of recurring dreams in me. And at first I, in my twenties, I would dream that somebody called me up to preach and I wasn't prepared. And that dream went about three times and then it never came back because the longer I preached, the less I was worried about not being prepared. That was no fear. So I guess my brain subliminally knew that didn't bring me that dream. But I remember the first time I dreamed that I was going on stage and the play was about to start and it hit me that I had neglected to study any of my lines and I had no idea where my blocking was on the stage and they were going to open the curtain any minute and my pulse was just racing and I woke up in a cold sweat. This is 20 years ago and probably once a year for 20 years, I've had that exact same dream, but it got worse and worse. It got to where I was, um, the, the, the first five or six times it was the same dream, then in advance to where I was handed the, the part at the last minute because someone dropped out and they thought I could do it and I just showed up to watch, but now I'm gonna get thrown up on the stage and it just, I would wake up in a cold sweat, my pulse racing. And then one night in the dream, I said, this is just a dream. And I woke up. And I thought, I've licked it. I finally figured it out. It took like 15 years, but I finally beat the dream. And the next time it happened in the dream, I said, this is just a dream. And I still stood there behind the curtain. And I said, no, this is just a dream. <laughs> and they started pulling the curtain. And the old pulse came back and I woke up and it was like, I could hear this little voice in me going, you can't trick me that easy. You, it's not just a dream. And then a few months later, I had the dream again. And this time for the first time in 15 years, I made it onto the stage and the play began and someone on the stage said their first line. And right as I decided that I was going to die, I woke up. And so the dream keeps taking me farther and farther and farther until one night I made it all the way to the stage and someone handed me a script and said, we highlighted your lines. Can you memorize it? And I looked down and I had one line and it was really short. And I thought, yes. And I turned the page and the whole page was me. <laughs> and so I stood back there and memorized the one line and then just tried to memorize the other one and went out on the stage. And for the first time in almost 20 years of dreaming this, 
the whole cast started up, me and five people on the stage. And they said their line and they said their line. And I said my one line. First time in this whole dream sequence I've ever said a line on stage. And I said my line. And then it got back to my big speech. And I start stumbling and I pull the script out of my pocket on stage and I start reading it and my cast members groan. Because if you've ever been in a play and you imagine that one of your cast members tries to show up and read, everyone on the stage looked down at the floor so disappointed in me. And I looked out at the crowd and I said, I'm sorry, but I, I, I don't belong here. And I woke up. And I mean, this has been 20 years. My brain's playing games with me. It's going on and on and on. And about three months ago, here I am again in the dream. And I'm telling myself, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. And it's not stopping. And someone walks up and hands me an entire play and says, this is your, and I've done this now 200 times in my dreams. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I walk to the stage and everyone's sitting in chairs and they go, hey, Paul, come on in. It's our first rehearsal. And I sit down in a chair and I open the script and I start reading. And I remember thinking in the dream, I can do this if I'm just prepared. And I woke up and I haven't had it since. And I'm praying about it going, God, what is, what's happening here? And one morning I was out in prayer, praying about this dream. I'd kind of forgotten about it because I try to push it. It's like a subliminal thing. I try to leave it. I'm praying about it again. And I felt like the Lord said to me, the version that you finally had is what you will feel when you truly accept. This is the word I heard the Spirit say. When you truly accept your role in ministry, that's you on the stage right there. When you truly accept your role, you'll feel prepared. You've always felt like you had to be whatever you were asked to be. You had to be a soul winner. You had to be a church builder. You had to be a ministry builder. You had to be a writer. You had to be a counselor. You had to be a question answerer. You had to be a helper. You had to be whatever was thrown your way. And you've always felt as if you were just missing your, your slot in the cast. Like you were, you were good at it, but you just wasn't finding it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, when you land on it, we'll be like you in the rehearsal. You'll just relax. So I said, well, Lord, it would help if I knew how to land on it. And I didn't hear anything until two weeks ago, which is when I knew that I needed to talk this out with you because another morning run and the Lord said, you know, years ago, I told you you were going to remove grave clothes from resurrected people and you've done that. He said, but I want you to know that in this season, I'm calling you to, to take that which is black and white and turn it into color. When you talk to my people about Jesus, put him in color. And I have had such a peace these last several weeks going. For that, I can be sure. But how did I get there? It wasn't just a prayer session one day to say, oh, God answered that prayer in a prayer session. That leads me back to the question, can you be sure? Maybe not about things, but you can be sure about who you believe and you can be sure about what you're gifted and called to do. And there's only one way to figure it out. And I stumbled upon it out of necessity, not out of having dreams. 
But by God's grace, what has happened the last couple of years because of the season that I'm in is slowly but surely began to transform so much of my time into the contemplative practice of getting to know God. Because I've had the scriptural knowledge of God and I've had the life experience of God and now I got degrees behind my name that tell other people he knows something about God and I've written books about God. But to contemplate Him, to spend time alone with Him, what's happened in the last couple of years is I've had a reformation of what prayer is. That prayer is not me petitioning God to do things. Prayer is me being transformed into the image of the one I'm praying to. And allowing that to happen has graced me with an answer. I didn't say the answer. An answer in this season of what I can be sure about. So I want to say to you and to all of you that yes, you can be sure. And the way that you can be sure is to follow the pattern laid out for you, not in the latest bestseller, but in the life of Christ, particularly in the moment before Jesus dies, he gives us what I think is one of the most powerful insights into how to be sure. Before we read it, I want to just Make sure you're reminded of this. And this is where I slow down for a second because this is where you can lose people. Hopefully I've got your attention enough if you're watching at home that you don't leave. Um, Jesus goes to the cross, but he has to pause at Gethsemane to make sure. The reason I pause is because people don't like to think of Jesus that way. Yeah, Jesus is chest out, shoulders back, head up high. He's the warrior. It's got it all figured out. He knows what he's doing. But the truth is, is the hypostatic union of Jesus is all man, all God. Jesus lives by faith. He walks it out with his father. What I hear my father say, that I say. What I see my father do, that I do. Jesus, responding in real time to his father, even sometimes reaches down and doodles on the ground because the best thing you can do is wait until you figure out what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus is in that mode. And so on his way to the trial, he's... They, he's not yet on his way to the trial. They're going to arrest him. He knows he's on his way to a trial. He stops at Gethsemane to have a pretrial trial, the trial of the garden. The olive press squeezes Jesus before he ever gets to Pilate. Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas have no chance because Jesus has already faced his accuser in the garden. And Jesus goes into the garden to be sure, to be sure that the cross is the way, to be sure that tonight's the night. We faced other Passovers in our life, but something's different this week. He says, days earlier, he said, I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to perish and in three days I'm going to raise. So he's already heard the voice from God. He's already heard God say it and still stops off at the garden to be sure to practice that contemplative moment. Let's read it from Mark's gospel, 1432. They came to a place named Gethsemane. That means place of the olive press. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Don't ever let someone convince you that trouble and distress means you're weak. Because Jesus faces trouble and distress on his way to the cross, and he steps right into it. And so trouble and distress doesn't mean you've made the wrong decision. Don't use trouble and distress as your plumb line for whether or not you're in the will of God. Okay, 
Because trouble and distress hits us all. Yes, even Jesus. Now he brings Peter, James, and John so he can bring you. I believe this. Why? He don't need, does he need prayer cover? Well, maybe that's just something. Maybe, hey, you guys pray with me. But he brings Peter, James, and John so that you can be there. So that he can bring you into that garden to teach you something about prayer. So he can bring me. He could say Paul White right here if he wants to. Verse 34. He said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and he fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible... The hour might pass from what a prayer father if it's possible let's push this off if there's another way let's try that other way now we know where he's going to go but i just want you to concentrate for a moment on what he actually prays and he said abba father all things are possible for you just take this cup away from me nevertheless not i will but what you will 37 Then he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Will you go back a screen? Thirty-five. He went a little farther, and he fell on the ground. Watch this in Bible study, because these are cues dropped in by the author, dropped in by the Holy Spirit, to train your ear and to train your heart. Here's a cue. He went a little farther, he fell on the ground, he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. There's your establishment of what the hour means. It's not this. They don't have watches, they don't have clocks. So they're not tick, 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 wait for an hour, that's how long we pray. He said to them, the hour has come. This is the time, this is the season, this is the moment. We're in the hour. They're there watching him say this to God. Okay, now next screen. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? I took that for a while and thought it meant you got to pray 60 minutes. That if you could pray 60 minutes, you'd have the power of God and the anointing of God. And I went into prayer with a prayer manual and a pen and a Bible and a stopwatch. And I timed my prayers because God was looking for an hour. But Jesus doesn't come to Peter and say, hey, you guys got your watches on? Um, just set the timer for an hour and then I'm going to come back in an hour. No, he just told you what the hour is. The hour is not a time on the clock. The hour is a moment. And Jesus is saying to them, couldn't you pay attention to the moment? Couldn't you tarry in the moment? Whatever the moment is, because the moments of your life are going to change. They're not always going to be the same. But you need to know the moment. You need to pay attention to the season. Pay attention to the hour. And when you pay attention to the hour, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Greek syntax there is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is always weak. Which is true. The spirit is willing, the flesh is always weak. So this frame is going to mess that up. The spirit... Please hear this, because this is key. This thing's going to mess this up, but the spirit man wants to get this right. Your spirit man wants to get this right. Your natural man can mess this up. Okay, so spirit's willing, flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words, which means that the Son of God prayed to his Father word for word the exact same prayer he prayed 20 minutes ago. Why? Did he not believe it the first time? See, I was taught that if you pray the same prayer twice, you didn't believe the first time. 
That's why you shouldn't pray the same prayer twice. Jesus prays the exact same prayer twice because Jesus understands that prayer is not getting God to change his mind. Prayer is getting you to change yours. Prayer is not transforming God to the moment. Prayer is transforming you to the moment. It's getting you shifted into where you say, come here, soldiers, bring it on. Because they're coming with their swords and their spears to take you. And if you don't get ready for the hour of temptation, you might reach down and grab your sword when they pull their sword. And you might try to cut off Malchus's servant's head. Peter sleeps through the season and fails the test because there wasn't a spiritual formation in him that transformed him. Can you be sure? Yes. How? You got to spend time in contemplative prayer. When people call me, email me, write me, come up to me at a meeting and say, Hey, pastor, how can I be sure I'm hearing from God? I'm always afraid it's me and not the Lord. I know without asking one question, they don't have a contemplative prayer life. Because your flesh is always going to be weak. It's why Jesus tells you to recognize the season and spend time paying attention in it. And we're not recognizing the season we have. We don't spend time paying attention to him in it. And then, we, and then our prayer, rather than our prayers becoming about him transforming us into the moment, the prayer comes, becomes, save me from the moment. So most Christians pray salvation prayers all the time. What I mean by that is they pray to prayer to get saved, and then they pray save me prayers. Can't pay my electric bill. I need help. Got a cancer diagnosis. I need healed. Buddy at work's got this problem. Do this. Every prayer is please do this. Please do that. Save me from this. Fix this problem. Solve this issue. And none of it's contemplative prayer. None of it is in the season watching what God wants to do in the moment because our prayers are all busy. Jesus doesn't say sit here and pray the whole time. He says sit here and watch. Couldn't you tarry an hour? Couldn't you sit here and watch the moment for an hour? As you learn contemplative practice, allowing him into that session to speak to you and through you, your voice becomes very distinct from the voice of God. To the point where you begin to be confident about where you can put your foot. You become sure. The world's going to talk to you about intentional living. And we're, we've bar started borrowing stuff like that in the church. Because we think it's like good motivational speaking. So we'll get up and go, you need to have intentional living. Intentionally live for the Lord. You know what? You can intentionally live and not care for Jesus. There's people intentionally living all the time. Don't care anything for the Lord. So intentional living is not Sunday morning gospel preaching. It's just motivational speech wrapped up in the church. Okay. Intentional living, fine. Live intentionally, don't live intentionally. You know what we need? We need attentional living. Pay attention. Pay, pay attention in your life to the Christ that saved you. Pay attention in a way in which you learn to tune your ear to what he sounds like. And that prayer becomes less you talking and more you attentively paying attention. Contemplation is not a trick. It's a grace. 
But contemplation can't happen if you don't position yourself for it. Why does he bring Peter, James, and John in? Because he wants them to watch contemplative practice. You need to be in the right place. Position yourself daily. I, I don't suspect that, you, that we have a lot of time. Okay. Not everybody's in full-time ministry, so they're not going to be able to devote time. I get it. One of the reasons why we do what we do is because you can't do that. You can't have that kind of information, so we put some of that out there for you. That's life. That's what ministry is. That's what a lot of pastoral ministries, what a lot of itinerant ministry is. So I'm not besmirching our use of time because that can turn condemnatory very quickly. And that's not the intent. But contemplation is asking the hard questions of yourself. So start here. Why, why do I love God? Well, that's elementary. Is it? Then dig in. Why do I love Him? What is in God that I find lovely? When you start to ask these questions honestly and really get honest, then the answers that are real start to come to the surface. And sometimes you find out that you don't think He's that lovely. Sometimes you find out that you don't have a lot of good reasons to love him because you haven't had that revelation of his love. And that then shows you where to land your foot. Can you be sure that you're doing what God called you to do? Can you be sure you're in the right place? Can you be sure? Yes. But it's going to take more than salvation prayers thrown up between electric bills. You understand what I mean? And Christianity, because we have, because we have no persecution, because being a Christian is super easy societally, oh yeah, you can get made fun of once in a while because you follow Jesus, but your life's pretty darn good in a culture and a world where following Jesus doesn't cost all that much, because of that, it can become very easy to forget the life of contemplation. Because we don't really have to have it. And in grace circles where we've become convinced of our righteousness, thank God we are, convinced of our identity, thank God we are, we realize that we don't have to go pray 60 minutes in order to be blessed. We're blessed because of Jesus. And so what can very slowly happen is we start to walk away from the contemplative life. And then I end up getting messages from people going, how do I know if I'm hearing from God or not? And I go, this is easy for you to learn how to know if you're hearing from God or not. You've spent so much time listening to his voice, you don't get his voice wrong. Can you be sure? Yeah, you can. Maybe not about stuff. You're going to change your mind a lot. God won't give you all the answers to stuff. He just doesn't do it that way. Can you be sure? Can you make your call and your election sure? Yeah. You can talk to the one who called you. You can pay attention to him. If Jesus had to go, and listen, don't worry about praying the same prayer twice. If Jesus went back to the garden and prayed the same prayer twice, go pray the same prayer 10 times. Who cares? Jesus did it, you can do it. And the first person that rebukes you for it, tell him, take it up with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did this, I'm just trying to follow in the master's shoes. Can you be sure? Let me pray for your, let me pray for your sure footing, all right? I can't put your foot in a sure spot, but I believe we can be equipped to be sure. Thank you, Father. I don't know that I got 
I don't know that I got all the answers that I'm looking for in regards to the things you've shown me, but I'm in a good place to start. And I know that I'm stepping surely lately because of the time. My time with you is changing. Uh, and, and that time has become contemplative of who you are. And I don't have a formula for how to do that. I'm just trying to listen. I believe that as we learn to listen, we learn to identify your voice. As we learn to identify your voice, we can be sure. Father, gift us, grace us with the contemplative practice. It's not a formulaic. If it's formulaic, it becomes legalistic. If it becomes legalistic, we can package it, write a book on it, put a sermon series out on it, expect people can copy. It's not formulaic. It's graced. Grace us with what that looks like. And in the unforced rhythms of grace, one day will look different than the next, but they'll all be the practice of hearing your voice. In Jesus' name.